Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. I always bring so much stuff up when I'm coming here. I don't know if it looks like I'm preaching or moving in, but I always have just a handful of stuff to make the transitions as awkward as possible. So, it is good to be here, and uh, we do really love this church. Ryan, I'm glad you told that story there at the beginning because I, I was going to tell that um, as well. This sort of one-year anniversary is such a special thing to get to be here on. And the day Ryan and I had that conversation, we were sitting in a Starbucks together. Crystal and I have attended the church they were at previously as associate staff and worship leaders. Uh, we've attended there for a while and so as we got to know them better and really just fell in love with this couple, and we knew that the Lord was beginning to birth something in them to lead a church themselves, that was really, whenever we were having that conversation of, hey, we might plant a church in Waxahachie, just that default answer was yes. But being here um, at Grace Hill a lot over the years and being part of the sort of steering committee that was going to be searching for a new pastor for this church, um, I knew they would fit here, and they do. And it's a wonderful thing to see. So thank you for loving them. How many of you know this? I know how great Grace Hill is, and I know that to pastor is a privilege. Been part of both of those types of things. But I also know that anytime God stirs something in your heart, it requires some risk. It requires following through on faith to move forward and obey. It just does. Of course, they wanted to be here, and of course, the Lord has called them here, but they gave up a safe place. They gave up a decent sized home in a cheaper area. Money goes a lot further on the outskirts of the Metroplex. Can we say amen? That's the only time I'll ask you for that today, but that's just the truth. And, um, and to follow through on what you believe is the biggest deal. To follow through on what you believe is something that will be required again and again, whether you're pastors like Ryan and Lauren or you and me. Whenever Jesus says, follow me, that by default means we are going places. We are doing things. He didn't simply say, believe in me. He said, follow me. And so James, whenever he is, he's writing this letter to this group of Christians, uh, he was addressing a lie that was as easy to believe then as it is now, that your faith in God and my faith in God is a private thing that hopefully secures us some sort of eternal uh, place after we die, and as long as you believe the right things, you're all good. And so James begins by saying, what good is it, my brother and sisters, if you claim to have faith but have no deeds? Deeds, actions, works, those are sort of three words that are consistently used to describe the same thing. And he asks this question, he says, can such a faith even save you? He says, if it is just about what you believe, and you feel that you believe the right things, so that alone will ensure one day you'll be in heaven. He says, can such a faith even save you? And whenever you read this scripture on its own, that will knock you back in your chair. Especially if you read some other scriptures on their own, things like the Apostle Paul said, where he said quite freely, you know, we are freely justified by the work of God and not things we do. And so James says right here, can, can a faith without works, can it even save you? And so what this could be, 
because there are books written on the whole deal, is this could be really sort of a comparison, a big contextual comparison of long passages of Scripture to show sort of the nuance of what is meant there. How many of you know if you drop into my house and hear me talking to my kids, teaching them certain lessons at certain times, if you came in once and heard me talking to them, and then you swung by my house two years later and heard me talking to them, you might think I'm saying different things. But we're talking about different situations in different ways. So to reconcile what Paul and James are saying, if you're trying to hash all that out in your mind, basically, it's this. Paul reminds us that we are saved by God's works through Christ and not our own. But James reminds us that if we are saved by God's works, we're going to do work. He's saying, if you really have saving faith, it is not just a level of belief. There is no amount or intensity of private belief that can validate a life without outward actions. There's no level of just propositional truth that has really changed us if it hasn't changed what we're doing day to day. So good works are necessary for the saved person is what we're saying, but good works don't save a person. Do we all get that? So that sort of makes sense. So that really helps us move forward. Here's the way I would put it. I have this picture of a tree that um, is just a fantastic way to think of it. I think I have a picture of a tree anyway. Until and if it comes, we don't have a picture of a tree. Imagine a tree. Picture just a tree, okay? And this tree is tall. Say it's an apple tree. It can be any tree. This tree is tall. And then underneath the ground, it has just roots going down. Okay, so those roots might be your faith. But what James is saying is if the faith in those roots are real, stuff's going to happen above the surface, right? So if things are really growing beneath the surface, inevitably things are going down outside of the surface. And so what's interesting, though, is the two can't be disconnected. Roots and tree are all tree, but they're two different parts of the tree. And yet one does not survive without the other. So we have a house with a little bit of land and some trees, and it's, they're what are called Texas weeds, you know, the hackberry trees that most people just bulldoze over when they move in. For me, I'm like, don't touch my trees. They're trees. They may just be hackberry trees, but they're trees. And so we've got a bunch of sort of these juvenile trees about that big around, but I have decided, okay, I need to thin some of these out to give others room to grow so they can become sort of their most, their So these trees can live their best lives, I suppose, so they can grow. And that meant other trees had to lose their lives. And so I've gone through and I've been cutting some of them down. Something really interesting I noticed the other day, one of the first trees I decided to actually chop it down several months ago, and something I noticed the other day where there were all of these new branches growing out of the stump. Why? You chopped it down up here. Well, yes, I did. But there's still life in the roots. But at the point where nothing's growing out of that stump, well, those roots are dead. And so that's what James is saying. He's saying, if there is nothing outward out here, there is nothing really alive in there. This is one of the ways that we know sometimes we get a little off kilter if we buy into things that are proverbial sayings, but they're not really biblical proverbs. Whenever we say something to the effect of, I know I'm not living right, but God knows my heart. But what James would say is he would say, yes, God does know your heart, and what's in your heart is proven by what's going on out there in your life. That'll stir you, make you think, man, is what I know in here, am I living it out 
out there. So James begins to go on, and what we're going to do the rest of the message is we're going to hit three specific examples he gives. And I actually asked Crystal if she would come talk about this next one. So, Crystal, go ahead. You know what? Boom. Good morning. Okay, so I get to help um, talk about this next verse, James 2, 15 through 19. So I'm going to read it real, real quick before we go into it. It says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good it is, is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And how that is such a hardcore passage, that, especially that last part. Um, I don't think that would go very well today on Twitter if somebody tweeted that, you know, comparing a Christian to demons' belief. They, we all believe good. Um, there'd probably be a lot of articles written about that or some comments too. Um, here we see James is addressing the church in his day about an issue of disconnect. There's a disconnect there between what the people in the church are saying and what they're doing. And um, I think that this can apply to us today for sure. This is not an issue that ever goes away. And I think it's a heart check. It's something that we can come back to again and again. None of us are exempt from kind of going this way, where at times we, we are not acting upon what we're saying. Um, and in this, in this verse, is, he's really talking about helping others and meeting others' needs. So today, um, that part where it says, Go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed. I think we'd say it today like this. I hope you have a great day. I'm praying for you. Be blessed. Right after we heard someone, one of our friends tell us, I don't think I have enough money for groceries this month. It's kind of equivalent to that. It really does sting to think of it that way. Um, his words are, are very confrontational, and they implore us to open our eyes to who we really claim to be to look at our own lives and see, do my actions line up? So I don't know about you, but sometimes this can cause me to go to the extreme. I read a passage like this and I'm like a little overwhelmed with maybe all the needs in the world. Um, Maybe I'm going to think something like, well, Lord, I'm not Tom. I can't provide shoes to everyone in need. How am I going to do that? You know? Um, and we may have a friend that the other day they were just in Uganda on a trip and saw, we saw everything on FaceTime, on Facebook Live, like how the needs of the world are at this moment. It can be a little overwhelming, but thankfully James is not telling us this. He's not saying, I want you to meet a giant need. He's saying, um, when you see a brother or sister in need. So when I think of a a true to life person, who exemplifies this, I, I think of my dad. He has never been in full-time ministry. He's, he's always been in, very involved in the churches that they've been in. But um, growing up, I saw him time and time again help others in need, minister those who needed the Lord. Um, I remember 
growing up and hearing about him picking up a homeless person in his truck and taking them to a hotel and getting them a night to stay. I remember being in the car with my mom and my, my brother and seeing my dad walk out um, under a bridge and go take a homeless man some food and talk forever. And we're just sitting there in the car like, this is not a good part of Dallas. Why are we sitting here? You know, and he was just talking and talking and came back to the um, truck and he was all lit up and just said, well, I just told him about Jesus and, you know, prayed with him. And I think he accepted the Lord, you know, so things like that, I saw him do. Those are little things. They're not giant things, but he saw a need and he met that need. Um, so that part where, he, where James says a brother or sister in need, and that, that tells me that God places people in our normal everyday lives that need him. We're going to have those people in our lives that is totally orchestrated by the Lord. And it's really easy um, to talk about our faith, right? Um, and I've done this. I'm guilty of this. So, and it's not a bad thing, honestly. But it's really, really easy to post a picture on Instagram of your beautiful Bible with highlights and your coffee and talk about your faith and how wonderful the Lord is and praying for people and stuff. That any of us can do that. But to actually step out in our lives and go and find that person in need and do something, it's a whole other step of faith. One thing that's really cool, last thing I just wanted to point out was the part where he says, let's go back to verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And what's really cool is when we do give to another person in need, that could be our time, that could be our money, or it could be a listening ear. There is a new awareness of God in our lives, isn't there? Isn't that really cool how when you have stepped out and helped someone, it's just like your faith comes alive. And I think that's just part of what he was saying there is that faith without works is dead. I mean... Our lives, when we're walking with the Lord, can seem really dead and really boring if we're not stepping out and doing something for someone else. So most of all, I just want to encourage you and not to become overwhelmed, but also know that we can be like we say we believe. We just need to be willing. I think that's the first thing is to be willing And then secondly, open our eyes to what's around us. Just simply opening up our eyes and our hearts. Who has God put in my life that I know has a need? And I would just encourage you to pray that. Ask the Lord that yourselves. One more verse, Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. He says, share what you have. So you have something. You may not have much, but you have something. And I think that's something we can, every one of us can do. Thank you. So James goes from this really 
practical kind of everyday example. And then he says, let me take it away from just our everyday life. He said, let's look back into scripture, into the stories that we all grew up and the people he's writing to that we all grew up knowing. And he says, let's think back to Abraham. We mentioned earlier the sacrifice of Abraham offering his son, Isaac. Now, this is something that if it doesn't make you cringe a little bit, you probably didn't catch what exactly it said. It's talked about Abraham offering his son, Isaac, on the altar. If you've ever read the book of Genesis, one of the things you know is that Abraham, and you've sang this if you've been in church for any amount of time, something about Abraham being the father of our faith. God very much, in a lot of ways, started his redemptive work in the world, which led to him sending his son actually through Abraham. And so whenever God speaks to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation, at that time, Abraham is very, shall we say, advanced in age, and he's childless. His wife is at a point where she should not be able to conceive. And so whenever God tells him, I'm going to do this, they're already, they're already beyond childbearing years. And by the time he actually comes through for them, whenever he decides now's the time to do this, and uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, conceives, then they're really up there. But they saw God's faithfulness in their old age, seeing that whenever the God makes a promise, his promises are true. And so Isaac is born. Isaac is probably a young man at some point whenever God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, your only son who I gave you, and I want you to offer him on the altar as a burnt sacrifice to me, as an act of faith. And so James refers to that very specifically, beginning in verse 20. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And so he says, Abraham was considered righteous by what he did, not just what he believed. It says in verse 22, his faith and actions were working together, and his faith, his belief in God, was made complete by what he did. And so scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, That's his belief, and that belief was credited to him as righteousness. So that's how we typically think of faith. We believe God does something on our behalf, and that is true, but it says you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Again, same thing, out of your belief will come actions. So whenever you look at this, one of the things we really need to remember is that the whole point of that story is actually that Abraham did not have to go through with a sacrifice. It was actually a picture. God provides a ram for Abraham. And then another thing to think about with this is this was not merely some sort of unction, a wild idea that Abraham had. This was like a picture that God was doing once in history that we could learn from forever. And so Abraham had the most incredible things happen to him beforehand. There's actually in Genesis chapter 18, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, The angel of the Lord appears with two different men. And if you read there in Genesis 18, Abraham runs out and he says, hey, stay with me. And the language used there in Hebrew like indicates that he realizes this is a divine manifestation. And that's where the Lord told him, shall I tell you what I'm about to do? You're childless, but your descendants are gonna be as, can you count the stars? That's how many descendants you're gonna have. And so what scripture actually says in the book of Hebrews is that whenever Abraham went through with this, he thought to himself, I believe in God. God's promises are true. He said that through Isaac, I was going to be a great nation. So worst case scenario here, God is going to raise the dead. 
That's, that's what's going to happen. And we see that Abraham actually knew that because whenever he took Isaac to the mountain for the sacrifice, he had a couple of workers with him. And Abraham said, you guys stay here. We, me and Isaac, we're going to go to the mountain and worship. And then he says, and then we are going to come back to you. So Abraham had this incredible level of faith in God. His promises are true. And because his promises are true, I will be bold enough to act. I will be bold enough to accompany my faith with very specific actions. And Hebrews says that figuratively speaking, Abraham did receive his son back from death. So we see what Crystal said was that a lot of times faith, exercising faith with action is about the small things, the everyday things that that come across our path. But then Abraham also shows us that if God asks you to sacrifice something big, to make the biggest of changes in your life, to give up the biggest of things in your life, something that, oh God, I'm so thankful um, that you've brought this my way. God would ask you today, he would say, if you have to give up the most precious of things for me, do you recognize that number one, I created life, Number two, I've given you everything you have. And then the other thing is this, even whenever you think of what heaven is, heaven is eternity with the mind of an infinitely creative God blessing us for our feeble, struggling faithfulness. There is nothing we could ever sacrifice for God that he hasn't already out-sacrificed us on by sending his son But this story with Abraham just reminds us, hey, if God asks you for the biggest thing in the world, you can entirely trust him. You can trust his character because he's good. Because he's good. And then he closes with one more story. He goes from the father of our faith, Abraham, to a vocational sex worker. He tells us the story of Rahab. In verse 25, he says, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did whenever she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Now, he alludes to this story here just like you know all the details. You remember she was considered righteous, right? You may not know all the details. The details are in the book of Joshua chapter 2. We all know that whenever God brought Israel out of Egypt, he was taking them to where? The promised land. And in the promised land were groups of people that actually did sacrifice children to gods and they burned children on altars. They actually went through with just the most heinous things, things of which God said, such things never even enter my mind. And so they're going in and they're taking land that God is judging these other people and he's moving them out. So in the city of Jericho, a couple of spies from Israel go in to do some reconnaissance and to sort of check it out. Where are the weak points? Where can we get in? And they were hiding in the home of a prostitute named Rahab. And this prostitute named Rahab said, our entire city is terrified because of you guys. And she said, the reason we're terrified is we've heard what your God did parting the Red Sea and you walked across on dry ground. We know that your band of people are conquering armies that you have no business conquering unless God is with you. And this is what she said. Your God is God in heaven and on earth. And so that's what James is talking to. What happened was some people from the king came knocking on her door and said, we understand some foreigners have come to your house. She's hiding them on a roof. She says, yeah, whenever it started getting dark, they left, they got outside the city gates before you guys came. I guess you could find them if you took off running right now. 
So she sends them away. By faith, she came to believe your God is God. What he is doing with you and your people, that is the will of him. She started to get this level of faith and truth, and by faith, she acted. So you have James talks about everyday people. Hey, somebody needs food or clothing. You have Abraham on the greatest of sacrifice, giving the biggest thing ever, exercising your faith by doing something. And then Rahab, you see that you can trust God by taking risk. If you're in a place where you need to risk for God, because you have come to understand something he says in scripture, could be about parenting, could be about giving, could be about the way that you approach work, but you've come to believe, okay, God's word is true, and this can be how I obey and line my beliefs up with what I see here. And she was considered righteous for what she did. And so she exercised her belief with a risky action. And here's the wonderful thing, though, about faith in God, in that he does cover all of our sins. Rahab is mentioned here in James. Uh, She's also mentioned, I believe, in the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Joshua, none of them ever focus on her. They mention her vocation, but nobody focuses on her vocation. Rahab actually ends up being in the lineage of Jesus. She ends up being a great, 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 great grandmother several times removed of Jesus himself. Because God doesn't see people just for where they are when he finds them. He sees them for who they can be by faith in him. So we see all these levels of faith and action working together. And what's interesting about these examples is these are all very personal examples. There are implications for us as a church, as Grace Hill, that Pastor Ryan will lead us in in praying about. But this comes down to a very personal level. These things, some of them became big deals that we look back on, on Scripture and think, wow, that was really huge. But at the time, these were interactions between one and two people, three people, Things that at the time maybe could have just been, ah, I'm not doing that. I, I know I feel prompted or I know I've come to see this is true, but I, I'm not doing that. And things could have totally went a different way. So when we know something is true and we have faith that it's true, will we follow through? Will we act on what we believe? Here's how practical and how needed this is. Over the past couple of weeks, three shootings in California, in El Paso, in Ohio. Twisted young men acting on evil beliefs. Things they had going on in here that they strategized for, they executed, and they took the lives of people. And this naturally is so crushing, and we're wondering as a country, where, where are we so off? <laughs> like, what is happening right now? And whenever we look at that, we have to be careful. I mean, Jesus, the book of John says about Jesus that a light has shined in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. But you look at the life Jesus lived. Yes, he did some incredible miracles, but he operated, Crystal and I were talking about this yesterday, within a relatively um, conservative geographical area. 
encountering people day to day, teaching who he came across, helping who he came across. And this has been the most transformative life that has ever been lived. But it was not just about teaching the right truths. It was about doing things as well. So let's be sure, brothers and sisters, that we don't settle in online behind a laptop and just start complaining about what everyone else needs to do. What are their actions? Whenever these people get their act together and they start seeing stuff this way, when these people stop blaming factors that aren't really the thing, whenever these people do this, whenever these people do that, and whenever Congress and the president can finally get together, and, when it, and we're just, we become cultural philosophizers. And we've got this faith in here, and maybe we post some Bible verses and stir people, Jesus is coming back, get right. Well, yes, that is true, That is a true belief, but what are we going to do to introduce life into the culture we have? We've got to follow through on what we believe by doing stuff. So I can't make the president and the Congress work together for anything. Salvation ain't coming by the White House, but I can because Jesus talked about loving everybody I can work with people at work with whom I totally disagree. And I can introduce my faith into that and I can bring light into darkness. I can't control the trolls online who are saying vile things. And then how can people be so evil and wicked? What in the world is going on? I can't fix all of that, but I can not return the snark maybe I receive at White Rock Coffee. And I can return cursing with blessing because Jesus said, return cursing with blessing. I have faith in Jesus. That's the work Jesus would do. And without works, my faith is dead. So we see each of these, we have opportunities to bring expression of faith into it. Why? Because it's not just about what we believe. It's not just about faith. It's about works. And without works, our faith is dead. James tells us all these things will give life to our faith and that these are the things we will do if we have real faith. We will do everything, everyday little things. We will sacrifice big things, and we will take risk if we know that's what God wants of us. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We've all stood at a funeral, or we've maybe seen an open casket. We've seen a loved one. Like they, um, they're there, but they're not really there anymore. What's gone? The spirit's gone. The body without the spirit is dead. Our faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. And we take, um, we take this passage as James has written to us today as an appeal which is not just to make our faith about deeper and deeper intensity of internal belief, but to make it about more consistent action. I know, Lord, that my belief, no matter how much I believe it, if I'm not sharing it somehow with people, it is doing no one any good but myself. I know, Lord, that the times I've been most on fire for you, most consistent in my daily life, the best father, husband, boss I can be, I know that at those times I've been acting out what I know to be right from your word, from my faith. 
Lord, help us see opportunities where they lie. Help us recognize things that present themselves through the course of a normal day. If there's any of us in here, Lord, that we've been sitting on a decision for some time that we know, it's not just a, an, a, an idea, but we know you've been wanting us to make some level of sacrifice. Give us the courage to sacrifice. If some of us in here, maybe we've needed to take a risk for you like Rahab did when she risked her life because she knew that their God was God in heaven and on earth and she knew that he was real. Lord, may we be willing to risk and see that it's really no risk at all if you're in it. There's nothing that can go wrong that you won't restore a million times over and we won't have restored eternally in heaven. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.